Welcome to Revealed Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. Ephesians chapter 4. And once you have found that in your Bible, if you'd be so kind as to stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's precious word this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, if you'd stand with me as we read his word this morning. We're going to start in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4, and it reads like this. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Father, this morning we have approached your throne of grace and worshiping you with our voices as we sang. We have approached your throne of grace as we have given and been obedient to your call upon our life. We have approached your throne of grace as we have spent a few minutes with the children. And now as we send them back, Father, we now approach your throne of grace through your word. You know the difficulties. You know the challenges in this message this morning in preparing it. I look with great anticipation for what you're going to do this morning, not by my power, but by yours alone. So I ask this of you. You make very, very little of me, very much of yourself. Let your word be centered and forefront this morning, and you speak to our hearts as you so will. All this we pray in the name of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning we're going to continue to the theme that we've been on in Ephesians where we started in Ephesians uh, chapter 4 in the very first part of the beginning of the year and he told us to walk this worthy walk and we understood that worthy walk should have led us to a walk together and the body is, is unified. We looked at uh, verse 7 a couple of weeks ago where we learned that each individual believer had been gifted uh, by God to the measure of Christ. We also looked in verse 8 last week and talked about the ascension and the descension and the captives being taken uh, captive and released from their captivity and that they were taken back as, the, as Christ arrived on the hill of Mount Zion, uh, metaphorically as it says in Psalm 68. We learned that all that was accomplished because God fulfilled his plan through Christ, that plan of redemption for each of us. So we've all been redeemed, we've all been gifted by Christ to his measure. We learned in verses 9 and 10 that Paul did an exposition on that verse 8 from Psalms uh, 68. And from that passage then we move into this verse 11. What do we do with this verse 11 as it starts? I've titled this morning's message, Christ's Gifted Church. Because what he has done in the very first part of this section of verse 7 he's talked about the individual gifts and he talked about how Christ gained the right to give us those gifts through his death burial and resurrection and his, his capturing of those captives and the, the defeating of death and now he looks at the gifting of the church itself this morning we saw a living example of one of those gifts to the body united to the body universal and that was a, a missionary which falls into one of the categories. So now as we open up this particular passage, let's look at the gifts that Christ has given to the church himself. Starting in verse 11, we're going to look at Christ's gift. Paul's already made it clear that for each of us, we all have an individual gift. For many of us, we don't know what that gift is, or we don't utilize that gift, or we're scared to death to utilize that gift. And I may shock you, 
when I tell you that the gift of preaching is not a gift that I take lightly and that I do without some trepidation. Uh, every time I step into the pulpit, there's a certain amount of butterflies that like to come forth and fly within my stomach. Um, as I get up and do this, I may seem very calm on the outside, but I will tell you this, on the inside is a duck paddling for all his life underneath the water. And it always seems to happen that way. I'm not a great big people person, believe it or not. And uh, sometimes I don't look up at you because you're making funny faces at me, and it makes me wonder whether or not I forgot to zip something, tuck something, or put my tie on correctly. But you know, each of us have been given a gift, whether we're comfortable utilizing that gift or not. And Paul made that very clear to us. Not each of us is going to be a hand or a foot or an eye or a mouth or an ear. Some of us are going to be those hidden parts, those inward parts, such as in our bodies, the stomach or the liver or the kidneys or even the heart. Just because a, a gift is an outward gift, such as a hand or a foot, it makes it no more important than the inward parts, which are the heart. See, because we can live without a hand or a foot. We can live without eyes, but I don't think you're going to live very long without a heart. So even those inward hidden parts are the important ones. We have to be careful sometimes. We get this thing of pride in our hearts because we have the outward gift, or we get the thing of envy in our hearts because someone else has the outward gift. God tells us in his word that every gift is important and every gift is required for the body to function. Now he moves from that thought into this church gifting. Let's pick up right at the end of 8. I want to read the last words at the end of 8 to tie it into the first words of 11. The last words of 8 say, And gave gifts to men. Gave gifts to men. Verse 11 then, because 9 and 10, you'll probably notice in your Bible, I hope, or in parentheses, and that's because that's an exposition of a passage. So from 8, it says, And gave gifts to men. It falls into 11. It says, And he himself gave. First, I think before we look at the gifts, we have to understand who the giver of those gifts are. See, the giver of those gifts are the one that the focus is upon in that verse 8. Verse 8 is not focused upon the gift that is given. It's not focused upon the captive or the, uh, the captive that is captivity is set free. It's not even focused on the ascension on high. It is focused on he. The same he from verse 8 is the he, it says in 11, that he himself gave. See, every gift is given to us by Jesus Christ. He has earned that right by stretching his hands upon a cross and dying for your sins. He has earned that right by being placed in a tomb and rising three days later because that's what he said would happen. He has earned that right because he has stepped on the head of Satan, even though Satan bruised his heel. See, this giver of the gift is the same one that gave you the greatest gift ever given to man. And that is to relieve the penalty of sin in your life. The greatest gift that has ever been given is for a man to lay down his life for you. The one who laid down his life for you is the same one that gifted you. And you see, the focus here is not on the gift. The focus should be on the giver of the gift. We as humans like to focus on the gift. We like to focus on how blessed someone is when they sing or play or get up and preach or do different things. When it has nothing to do with the outward function, it has everything to do with the person who blessed and gave that particular gift. You see, the he that is there is none other than Jesus Christ, my Lord. I have to look at the gifts as being given from and through Jesus Christ, my Lord. 
See, it's imperative that we understand this. If not, we're going to have a thought process about the gifts that's going to be unfounded. It's going to be a thought process that's really going to go askew. It's going to be each to his own, and that's not the way the gifts are to be understood. It's un to be understood through the giver, who is Jesus Christ. It's easy to think of a gift as being self-appointed. A person saying, hey, I, I can sing. I, I've got the gift of singing, or I can teach. I, I've got the gift of teaching. No, those gifts come through and from Jesus Christ. You see, that's why when he takes Psalm 68 and he puts it into this Ephesians chapter 4 passage and he ties it to verse 11 where it says, and he gave some, we now understand why he stopped to expound on Psalm 68. Because when you really stop and think what Christ did for you in his death, burial, and resurrection, it makes you really appreciate the gift that he's given you. It also should pretty well convict you for not utilizing the gift that you've been blessed with. If you could sit in a pew and say, I accept the salvation that Christ supplied for me upon the cross, but then not get up and utilize the gift that you have been given, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you can take the gift of life and then shun the gift of life by sitting on the gift that's been given to you. And here, Paul is making it clear that not only are we gifted individually, but those gifts are given to the church for a reason tells me the gift that he has given me is not for me to take and utilize for myself in my own place. My gift is to be utilized for you, the body of Christ. You see, because every gift that has been given is not to edify and strengthen you. It's for you to edify and strengthen the body of Christ. That can only be done if that gift is actively used within that body. So let's look at these gifts that he's given. The very first he tells us there in verse 11, it says, And he gave some to be apostles. The word that's used there for apostles is apostolos. That word means to be a sent one, means to be a sent one. Specifically in this case, because it's in the context of the church and the gospel, it means to be sent to give the gospel. It is apostolos means being a sent one to share the good news or to be a gospel messenger. The apostles' purpose was really to lay a foundation for the ongoing church. It was to lay a foundation for this ongoing church. Their message, their message was to be one of theology and doctrine. If you ever look back at the apostles as they started out, they were constantly teaching the theology of what it meant to be a Christian. They were teaching the doctrine of how to be a Christian in the world. They were teaching those things to lay a foundation for what we today participate in, and it's called the church. See, the apostles went out and they spread the good news of Jesus Christ to lay the foundation for the church to grow from to the uttermost ends of the world. They were given an apostolic authority, which has been identified in them by the miraculous signs and the wonders that was a part of their ministry. If you remember, there were all kinds of signs and wonders. Back in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it tells us about these. It says, as soon as I get my Bible turned to it, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 12 says this, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. One of the things that came with that apostolic age, that apostolic gift, was the fact that they did these signs and these wonders among those that they went. Why? 
Why were there signs and wonders associated? See, these signs and wonders were given to them so that the unbelievers that they came across would understand that this person was truly a person from God. You have to admit, if you were to show up somewhere, there was a person that had a leg that they had never walked on because it was lame, and you showed up and you wanted to share Jesus with them, and that person didn't know who Jesus was, yet through the power of the Holy Spirit, you reached down and touched that person, their leg were healed, and they were able to walk. I got a sneaky suspicion that person wants to hear what you're going to say. And you see, in the apostolic age, before the New Testament was written, these apostles, as they went out, had these signs and wonders that were associated with their ministry so that people would be drawn to them and hear the message of Jesus Christ. You see, they completely preceded what we hold in our hands today as the New Testament. See, they were out sharing the good news before the good news was penned on paper. So they had these signs that would precede them. In fact, these apostles that went out with these signs and wonders, that spread the good news of Jesus Christ, that spoke of all the things that he had done and would do, these apostles were the very ones who either directly or indirectly wrote our New Testament. You think the apostolic age was pretty powerful? Every book you read in the New Testament was either penned by an apostle or penned by someone who was mentored by an apostle or was a close associate of an apostle. See, when you pick up the word and read it, you're reading the life of the apostle. You're reading their walk with Christ. You're reading what God poured directly into their heart that was taught through the mouth and written down by the pen so that we today could follow their teaching. Is that not powerful? To me, it's absolutely amazing that these apostles led the forefront in the foundation of the church by pinning, by speaking, by hearing from God the Word and putting it in place so that I can use it today to speak to you from the pulpit in place of God, for God. What an amazing thought. You see, these disciples were responsible, these apostles were responsible for so much of the foundation of the church that we experience today. But do you know who the greatest apostle was? If I were to ask you who the greatest apostle was, who would you say it was? I think Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 settles it for me. Because as I think of an apostle, I think of the twelve. But yet there was another sometimes that slips our mind. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 says this, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, in other words, he's talking to those who have been called by God, he says, Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. See, even Jesus, when he walked the earth, ministered in the same way the apostles did. Really, what the apostles did was mirror what Christ did. Because what did Christ do? When there was 5,000 people on a hillside that were starving, looking for a McDonald's and couldn't find one, what did he do? He met their hunger need so he could meet their spiritual need. When someone came to him and said, my child is dead or is dying at home, would you come? And he said, there's no need for me to come. Your faith is healed. Go home. They're no longer sick. And it says the entire house came to know Jesus Christ. 
See, when he did those miracles, he didn't do the miracles for show. He did the miracles for what I say is no, that they may know him. The apostles followed in those footsteps of Jesus. In the purest sense of the word, in the Bible, there are only 12 apostles. Not counting Jesus, because Jesus was much more than an apostle. See, there were the original 11 because we had to extract Judas, because Judas proved he was not an apostle. But then we have to insert Matthias, because he was chosen by God through the other apostles to be one of them. So there were these, these 12 men, so to speak. But what are the qualifications to be an apostle? Because a lot of people today call themselves apostles, and I would have to venture to say they maybe using that term incorrectly. You see, because there are two things I can find within the Word that say you are a capital A apostle, which a capital A apostle means a sent one, but a sent one by Jesus, not by the church. There is a differentiation there. So the two qualifications are this. You had to be personally chosen by Jesus, and the second qualification is you had to witness the resurrected Jesus. I would dare say for me that eliminates me from ever being an apostle. I may know Jesus, and he may personally have selected me, but I have not seen him eye to eye, face to face, since his resurrection. I have noticed him and known him and learned of him in spirit, but I have not laid eyes on him. For me to be a capital A apostle is to be a liar. So that I am not. So there's these two qualifications. You say, well, Brother Roger, how can you back that up? You know me. I happen to like to use the Bible for that. Look with me over to Mark. Mark chapter 3. I'm going to read these very quickly because... I'm already running out of time. Mark 3, uh, verse 13 says this, And he went up on the mountain and called to him, this is Jesus, those he, that's Jesus again, himself, wanted. And they came. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him, and they, that he might send them out to preach. It says, And to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. See, it says there in verse 13 that he called. That was Jesus called. It says in verse 14 that he might send them out. The word there used for send them out, apostolos. Sounds very familiar to the word that we just read over in Ephesians, doesn't it? Because it is the same word, sent out by Jesus. He also backs it up in 15 to say that they were given the apostolic signs, which was to heal sickness and to cast out demons. So see, you must have seen Jesus, been chosen by Jesus personally but then over in Acts over in Acts chapter 1 it gives an example of this choosing of that uh, that 12th disciple after Judas has been uh, disqualified by himself in Acts chapter 1 of uh, verse 21 it says this therefore of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us so he's talking to the men that were there and saw Jesus come in and out he says beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us still talking about the group of men being around Jesus from the day that Jesus was baptized till he was taken up from us he says one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection he goes on to say, and they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. It goes on to tell us that they prayed. They cast lots. From the lots came Matthias, and Matthias was really chosen by God through those apostles. And they were chosen of the men who had known Jesus and seen him after the resurrection. So to be a capital A apostle, 
You must have those two qualifications. Well, some make a very good argument for Paul. Because we do know Paul was also called an apostle. But you have to understand, Paul comes, came sometime later. Paul came sometime later. Matter of fact, over in uh, 1 Corinthians, he tells us about that personally himself. 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, I think it is. Yes, 15. In uh, verse uh, number 8, he says, Then last of all, he was seen by me also, me being the writer of 1 Corinthians, that being Paul. He says, then last of all, he, Jesus, was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. In other words, he says, I wasn't born in part of those original 12. I was born out of due time, but I too have seen Jesus. He goes on to say, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but... By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. See, Paul labels himself as an apostle, yes, but he was not part of that first chosen 12. We read in the book of Revelation, the first chosen 12 are going to have a special place. Do you know what that special place is at the end of time? There are going to be 12 tribes, 12 thrones, 12 men, 12 apostles. Connect the dots. So there's going to be 12. What about poor old Paul, the apostle? I think just like his ministry on earth, his ministry there is going to be different too. You see, because Paul goes on to tell us that his apostleship was for the Gentiles. Remember, even his ministry was different. He was sent to that cast-out crew, not to the Israelites. He was sent to bring the gospel message to the Gentiles, the heathens. So that's why I believe he's not part of that first 12. The apostleship, sadly enough, has ended the apostleship ended when the New Testament began. When the New Testament was penned and put in place, the apostleship became no longer necessary because now all that God has to say to us, we can pick up the Bible and we can read and hear and see through the word that was given. So that apostleship has ended, which means the foundation of the church has been set in place because that was their duty. See, the church started to grow because of that foundation. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, it speaks specifically about this connection between the apostleship and, and the growing church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says this, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. So there must have been a, a prayer meeting going on, a preaching service. Someone must have been up teaching. You can go back and read the previous chapter and see what I feel like is the greatest sermon ever preached by someone other than Jesus. Because it says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added. You ever been to a prayer meeting where 3,000 people got baptized? If I run past 12 o'clock, y'all want to have a meeting with me on the porch. If we baptize 3,000, you better pack your lunch. And I hope that we get the water to the right temperature, Brother Eddie. I believe I'd freeze to death or scald to death after 3,000. 3,000 people came to know Christ. Look, look what it says. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. What did the apostles do? Laid the foundation of the church. We see that foundation being utilized to save 3,000 people people who then continued in the apostles doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers then fear came over every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles there were still apostles present there were still apostles laying the foundation and that foundation now was growing into a church to the tune of three 
thousand people. <laughs> you know, it's an awesome thought to think that God set forth this plan, but the apostles were the proceeding for this plan. Sadly enough, after Acts 16, you really never see apostles mentioned again. Why do we know that apostleship has fallen off? Because you can't find anywhere in the Word where any apostle that we know, any of the twelve, was ever replaced other than Judas. Judas wasn't replaced because he died. He was replaced because he wasn't a true disciple or apostle. We never see another one being named. We never see that apostleship being handed down. We never see the transfer like we do of the churches where Timothy or different ones were put in place. We never see it mentioned again. We never see the adding. See, today there are apostles with a little a. How do we know that? Because 2 Corinthians 8.23 tells us that there are those that are apostles of the church or sent out from the church. There are those that are little a apostles that the church select or elect to go do certain things. And they are also sent, but they are not sent with the signs and wonders and the abilities of the original capital A apostles. The ones we send forth are not to lay the foundation, they're to build on the foundation. Completely different office. So we owe a lot to the apostles of Jesus. The spreading of the gospel because of their eyewitness accounts. The writing of our New Testament that we hold so dear. The instruction to that early church and most importantly for laying the foundation that we now build upon as a church. Well the second gift then very quickly. The second gift that tells us in Ephesians 4 is it says and he gave uh, and he himself gave some to be apostles, and it also says he gave some to be prophets. Propheteos is the word that is used there. Propheteos, and this word is used for prophet here and means forth teller. Forth teller. One way you can keep that locked into your mind is, is uh, Propheteos would be an inspired speaker. An inspired speaker. The prophet's purpose was to reveal the truth of the word to strengthen the foundation that had been laid by the apostles. See how it starts to stack up? The apostles were sent to lay the foundation. The prophets came alongside and, and continued after the apostles were gone to build on that foundation, foundation by foretelling. Now don't get confused. These are not the same type of, of prophets as we saw in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets were hearing the word of God and proclaiming it as fresh and new. The prophets of the New Testament were foretelling that which had already been given from God. The things that were already penned. See, the New Testament prophet, he was more of a prophet to a local congregation. Would much look like a pastor today, so to speak. But he was to a, a, a New Testament type church, so to speak. Now, there were times that these prophets were given things to say that may not have been written in Scripture or may not have been a part, but they are very few and far between. Matter of fact, probably one of the the most famous ones was when a particular prophet came in, uh, in Acts 21. If I think you'll remember this story, Acts 21. He came to a particular fellow that uh, had kind of got himself in a bind. In Acts 21.10 it says, And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. When he had come to us, he took Paul's belt. Remember Paul, Saul, Paul, big mouth? says, and he bound his hands and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. What was he telling Paul? He was prophesying to Paul that if you go do that which you want to do, which is not led by the Holy Spirit, you'll be bound and thrown into prison. Did it happen? Absolutely. So we do see sometimes the prophet would come proclaiming a, a new message, so to speak. 
But they mostly expounded on those things that were already told, those things that had already been told forth by, by the apostles who had come. We see that in Acts, Acts 13. It says, now before the, well, no, sorry, turn back one too far. Acts 13, Acts 13, chapter 1 says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there, was a certain, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. They sent them away. They were sent away as, as prophets, so to speak, to evangelize those churches, to be a part of that. We start to see the transition then from the apostles into the prophets, from the prophets into that next gift, the evangelist, right through that passage. Since the apostles came first, the prophet's message was to be laid beside the message of those apostles for truth, to verify truth in those. They were to give deeper insight to those messages. They were to expound on those things that the apostles had laid as the foundation of the church. Both of these gifts help lay the foundation and to grow the church in to what it is today. Ephesians 2 points that out to us in verse number 20, whenever it says this, And having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. What was built on the apostles and prophets' foundation? The church, Jesus Christ being its cornerstone. So we see those first two gifts, the, the gift of the uh, apostle, the gift of the prophet. Very quickly, we're going to look at the third gift. I'm going to try my best to get through this. The third gift, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets. And it says, Some given as evangelists. <laughs> given as evangelists. Evangelistes. Evangelistes is the word that is used there uh, for evangelists. And it means to preach the gospel. In one sense of the word, each and every one of us are to be evangelists. We're to be evangelists to a lost and dying world. But there are specific ones who have been given as a gift to the church for the building of the church. See, each of us are to go and go forth and share the gospel, but there are some that are to do it within the body of the local congregation for the building of the church. The purpose of the evangelist is to preach and to expound on the good news of the salvation through Jesus Christ. There's been many large name evangelists in our time. I think of Billy Graham. Billy Graham preached really one message. Thousands of times, but one message. <laughs> Repent. <laughs> Repent and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Thousands of times. He didn't stand up and preach the doctrinal issues within the Bible. He preached the good news because he was an evangelist. See, just like the apostles did in building the church, now that they are gone, the evangelist goes to the unreached and shares the gospel. So now that that apostolic, that apostolic era is gone, the evangelist steps in and fills that role within the local church. Timothy, if you remember, was Paul's protege. You remember Timothy? Timothy was his son in the, in the ministry, so to speak, the one that he came alongside. He said this about him in 2 Timothy 4, chapter 1, he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance and his kingdom. He looks at Timothy and he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. 
convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. See, this one that Paul had walked beside and brought along, this, this son, so to speak, he looks at him and says first in verse 2, preach the word. He didn't say tell a good story. He didn't say throw in a good joke. He didn't say narrate the political scene for the day. He didn't say read the newspaper to the congregation. He didn't say tell them how your week went. He said preach the word. Why? Because the word is the foundation for the church. There's only one truth. Well, I can open up any subject that you see on the news now in a room this size, and I'll guarantee you there's going to be more than one opinion. But we can open up the word of God, and there is only one opinion, and it's God's. And he says, preach that word. He says, preach that truth. Then in verse 5, he told Timothy to do the work of an evangelist and do it to the fullness of the ministry with which he was given. See, Paul knew as he wrote that to Timothy that he was about to face death because what follows that passage is what they refer to as, as Paul's valedictory speech, the ending of his ministry. And he's passing that man along. He's saying, this is what you need to do. You need to go evangelize the lost, build on that foundation. You see, Philip also took upon himself the mantle of evangelist. If you remember back in Acts chapter 8, for time we won't read it this morning, but it's Acts chapter 8 verses 4 through 8. It tells us about Philip. It tells us about Philip going to evangelize a certain city. If you remember, that city was Samaria. The, the, verse, the word that's used there, I believe memory serves me correctly, it's in verse 4. The, verses, the word that's used there in verse 4 for go evangelize was euangelizo, euangelizo, which is to pronounce the good news or to evangelize. Philip took upon himself the mantle to go to Samaria and evangelize this lost city. See, the evangelists are the ones who were spreading the gospel it also says, I believe it's in verse 5 of that exact same passage in Acts 8. Verse 4 said, Euangelazo, he went to evangelize. And verse 5 says he did it because he carusoed, he preached the gospel. The same word that was given here in Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, when Paul said, go, go, caruso, go preach the truth. When the offices of the apostle and the prophet had ended, God put into place the evangelist. And also, he put alongside the evangelist, the preacher, teacher. See, those are two different offices. See, every church needs a gifted evangelist to reach the lost in the community and bring them into the local body to be discipled. Who are they to be discipled by? That's the fourth gift. That fourth gift, and I'll do it quickly. I know we're out of time. The fourth gift, it says, some are pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers. The name for pastor there, the word for pastor there is poimanye. Poimanye is the word used for pastor, and it actually means, would be better translated, into the word shepherd. That's how it's most often translated. As a matter of fact, it's only translated pastor one time, and it's there in the book of Ephesians. The rest of the time, it's translated as shepherd. It's translated as shepherd. The word for teachers there that is used is didagalazo. Didagalazo is the word, and it's used for teacher to mean instructor. 
Now, the neat thing about this particular way it's translated in the English is it does it a little injustice because the original word was actually more of a compound hyphenated word. It didn't mean there was an office of pastor and an office of teacher. It meant there was a pastor teacher. Both of those duties fall to the one gifted person. And I believe it falls and is mentioned this way for one reason. There are two duties of a pastor within a congregation. He is to lead and he is to feed. He leads by being a pastor and he feeds by being a teacher. Those are the two things. He leads the church in following the will of God and he does it, the Bible tells us, by example, not by instruction. So he leads by example. He feeds the church through the word of God to its maturity through instruction on that word. Very quickly, see what parts I can cut out for you this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 28 says this. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. I read that to you to know that this passage was written by the same person that wrote the other passage that we just read in Ephesians, but you'll notice that he concluded there the, the pastor and the teacher wouldn't be two separate words. It would be just one word when he wrote it there. See, Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, tells them that they're to be one body and that this unity will be accomplished because there is one God who has appointed someone to grow the church. Paul states that the one who follows the prophet there is going to be the teacher. See, he mentions the apostle who sets the foundation, the prophet who builds on it, and the third that follows it from that passage is that pastor-teacher, that compound word, to build on that foundation, to build on that foundation. First Peter chapter 5 tells us this. First Peter chapter 5 verse 1 says, the elders, and that's another word used for pastors, says, the elders who are among you I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. There's a couple of real quick points there I'm going to make. Verse number two says that, that the pastor teacher, the position that I've been gifted for myself, which happened to stop me in my tracks for a second. Do you realize that I'm the gift to you guys? If you want to find the gift receipt after so you can return me, just meet me out on the porch. But it says there in the second verse, it says, sorry, my ADD kicked in. Verse 2 says, you should shepherd the flock of God. It says we are to shepherd or lead. It says there in verse 4 that we're to do it not as a Lord, not as a ruler, not as a king, but as an example. He goes on to say there in verse 4 that Christ will reward the shepherd who watches over and leads the flock by example through a heart that's eager and willing to do that. You see, many pastors today want to call all the shots and make everything their way, and they want it to be done their way or no way. I don't find that in Scripture. I find my job as your pastor teacher is to shepherd you and to feed you. Definitely not to lord over you because it says it plain as day right there. See, a pastor teacher is to do exactly what Christ did. 
the great shepherd. He watched over the flock. He led them. He comforted them. He never lorded over them as their king. You see, Titus 1, 7 through 9 tells us that pastors are to hold faithful to the word and to exhort and convict those that are part of the flock and to do that with the word. Titus 2, 1 through 10 says the reason being that the church may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. He is to exhort, he is to teach, he is to convict your heart with the word of God so that you may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in everything. I'm not just to teach you what applies to you for the hour that you're sitting here in this pew. I am to teach you that which you take outside of that door into the rest of your life, the rest of the week, no matter how painful that thing may be. See, in Acts 20, 28 through 31, God tells us the pastor is to lead. And I'll end with this if you want to flip there with me. Acts 20. In Acts 20, 28... He says this. He says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. So he says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves who you've been set to oversee, that's the pastor, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased. It's his church. The church of God is owned by God because he purchased it through what? His own blood. He goes on to say, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you. Notice it doesn't say that savage wolves will stand outside the door waiting on you. It says savage wolves are going to come up into your church and take a seat. See, the scary thing about our church today is the story of the wheat and the tares, which we'll cover one day. Sitting here in this place among me, I realize, is both wheat and tares, which are both sheep and wolves. Because what is great, uh, Satan's greatest plan to defeat the church? To insert a wolf, <laughs> to insert a tear into the body. If you remember with the story of the wheat and the tares, the farmer said, do not pull up the tares lest you pull up the wheat. It will all be settled at reaping. <laughs> there will be a day that everyone will stand before Jesus and the true sheep will be asked to come in and the goats will be sent to a place called hell. So he says there are these savage wolves. He says you are to shepherd the flock. He says in 29 through 30, the devil will try to infiltrate the church through that inserting of a, of a wolf. But in 31 he says, therefore watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn you every night and day with tears. He says, for years I have warned you of what is coming. I have warned you of that day. See, Christ gifted the church with apostles to lay the foundations, prophets to build on the foundations. He sent evangelists in behind the prophets to evangelize the world. And he sent pastor teachers in to disciple those that the evangelists sent into the body of Christ. It is that gift which God has for some odd reason seen to give me as well as other men like myself who are so unworthy to do just that task. Yet God says that we are to shepherd, which means I am to watch over your well-being, both in this facility and out. 
I am to watch for the wolf that comes into the door and be ready to convict and rebuke that which is not of God. And I am to lead you in the way of God, not by word alone, but by example. If at any time any of those things do not take place in my life, you as the body have not just the right, but have the duty to bring that to my attention. You see, because I don't answer to you, I answer to God, but I do answer for you. There will be the day that I will stand before Christ and you say, what did you do with that body that you oversaw? For every misstep, for every trip and stumble, I'll be responsible. See, I realize that it is my job to utilize every gift and talent that God has ever placed in this body for His glory and His glory alone. So I ask you this in the closing of the message this morning. What is the gift that you've been given? Can you look Jesus in the eye and say, I know you've saved me and I know from your word that you've gifted me. Can you look him in the eye and say, I know also that I have used that gift for your glory? Can you really look him in the eye and say that I have done that which should be pleasing to you? Or this morning, can you really look and say, I know I'm saved. I know I'm a part of that body but I haven't used a single gift that God has blessed me with to build that body. I have good news. God says that if you will come and ask for forgiveness of those sins, He is waiting to forgive you of those sins, to cleanse you from all righteousness. All that unrighteousness will be washed clean, and He will empower you to use that gift for His glory in the body of Christ. Where do you stand with God and your gift this morning? For each of you are gifted for His glory. Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.